Blog Talk Radio. Everyone, and welcome to the 518th edition of the Feuerstein's Fire American Soccer Show. As everyone knows, yesterday afternoon, the announced retirement of U.S. Women's National Team superstar Carly Lloyd has been announced by her as she will leave the sport uh, in its entirety, national team, and she'll be finishing off her NWSL season with New Jersey, New York, Gotham uh, once they are eliminated from either uh, regular season or in playoff contention. Who else to talk about Carly Lloyd is her former collegiate soccer coach at Rutgers University, the former women's head coach of Rutgers, as well as the current radio broadcaster of New York City FC. Glenn Crooks joins me. Glenn, um, I'm going to ask you personally right off the bat, is this, a happy as well as a sad day for you to see not only a fantastic player that you managed in the collegiate ranks retiring, but so to speak, I know you're not her father, but what does it mean for you personally through the years you've managed her, watched her grow up in a women's national team jersey, and then, of course, playing over in England and playing in the NWSL as a club player. Yeah, no, I, I think uh, I, my first thought was when I saw how she's second overall in caps, men or women, in, in the history of the game. And Christine Lilly, you know, she's got that figure some folks don't think anybody will surpass. And I just thought I, she's like 45 behind Lilly, something like that, 45 games. So I thought maybe, just maybe, she's thinking – I want that all-time Caps lead. But, uh, no, it's a happy day because, I, you know, Brian, her husband, you know, I've known Brian a long time. They were high school sweethearts. So when she was at Rutgers, she and Brian were dating. And uh, it was, you know, now they've got this. I think it's a, it's a nice moment for him, too, because uh, he sacrificed a lot. And she knows that, and she talks about that all the time. And then the fact that the pandemic was such a good thing for her in what was in many ways a tragic time, and we're still in the midst of it, obviously, but she just uh, had a chance to really sit down and think about things. And this, uh, she reunited with her family, which is her parents and her brother. Now you have to understand, you know, when I recruited her and, went down to her house, met her family, and then got to be uh, you know, pretty close with them. And then along the way, they became estranged. And there's, I, I don't know the exact nature of that. It was real. Uh, you know, they didn't see each other at the holidays, you know, things like that. And they reunited on uh, Thanksgiving 2020. And she's, yeah, she's still her, at her competitive best and, she still has that edge, but I think that was uh, 
that was a moment of realization for her that family is pretty vital. And I think that takes us to her and Brian, and let's see if uh, some kids emerge here. <laughs> you know, I, don't, I don't know. <laughs> but, uh, you know, this is, uh, you know, it's the next stage of their lives. And, you know, and, and for a woman, you know, she's 39, and, you know, I remember uh, uh, my wife was not quite that old when we had our daughter, but, uh, you know, there's the older you get as a woman, the more risk there is involved with the kid. And, you know, so this is a, this is a really uh, happy time. And now they'll, I'm sure they already kind of know what they want to do next. Brian is a golf professional. He's a club pro. He's not on, he might be on one of the mini tours or something. So, and Carly plays a little golf. So I did tell her she owes me around the golf. That's all I'm asking for. That's right. That's all you're asking for, and I don't blame you. Uh, as long as you don't hit from the ladies' tee, Glenn, you should be fine. Uh, <laughs> um, if I, you know, I, I know you came on my 500th episode show, which I'm I'm always grateful that you come on my show anyway. Um, just to reiterate, what made you see her? I mean, obviously, it probably was just a one of those rare moments that you probably were gobsmacked about her talents, technical ability. What is it about Carly Lloyd that you enjoy when she is either on or off the ball? Yeah, I, I thought you were going to ask me, you know, when, why did I recruit her? When did I see her? So I, I, I would like to tell well, you, you that story. Well, you can add that too. You can add that too. I don't know. Yeah, and then, but it leads to it because it was uh, – so uh, in New Brunswick, I live in East Brunswick. In New Brunswick, uh, there's, uh, I believe it's called Memorial Stadium. It's, uh, it's a pretty old, you know, stadium but with a track, and, but it's got concrete stands. And there was this uh, club team, the PDA Splash. Charlie Namo, who's now involved with the North Carolina Courage, and real successful professional coach on the women's side. And he uh, coached this Splash, and he had uh, – a relationship with the Mexican national team coach. So the Mexican national team came in and scrimmaged the full Mexican national team on the women's side came in and scrimmaged this club team, PDA splash, a really good club team. But he, uh, there was a guest player on the splash. And her name was Carly Lloyd. She was a sophomore in high school. So really young. And I, all I remember is she was probably the most influential player in the game. And I went down to Charlie after the game. I said, well, you know, who's that? I, I, I hear people say, Carly, you know, Carly. He goes, you don't know her? I said, I just, I don't. And uh, so from that moment on, you know, she was on the radar for Rutgers University. And fortunately for us, you know, that's where she uh, resided in college. But, you know, it's just, it, it was, to me it was um, her savvy at that age. But uh, more than anything, how explosive she was in the midfield. And that's the, the most amazing thing about her, Daniel, is, well, she's the all-time leading scorer at Rutgers. Um, she's over 100 goals, so she's, I, I, you know, I don't know, I'm not always good with the stats um, if I'm not preparing mm-hmm. them for a game or something, but, uh, you know, she's got 100 and whatever goals, you know, and is at or near the top of the U.S. Uh, women's national team charts and, uh, and interna- internationally overall. But almost all those goals, people see her as a striker these last, what, couple of years? The rest of her career, she's played in the midfield. 
So she scores well, all her goals in co- uh, college, and I'd say well over 90% of her goals uh, as a, uh, internationally um, were scored out of the midfield. So I always called her the Frank Lampard of women's soccer, or maybe Frank Lampard was the Carly Lloyd of men's soccer. It's one way or the other. Hmm. But that's what, uh, I mean, that's what impressed me and her ability to score from outside the area. That's part of it, but also from the midfield, getting into the uh, penalty area, so strong in the air. I mean, some of the goals she scored in the air. In college, you play overtime, and it's golden goal. So we're up at Syracuse, and we're kicking their arse. But it's, uh, it's a game that goes to overtime, scoreless. And overtime is, uh, back then, I think it was two 15-minute periods also. Golden goal, mm-hmm. sudden death. Second overtime. You can hear, and in college, they start counting down at 10 seconds, you know, over the PA. So there was 10, 9, and we're getting a ball, boom. And then Kim Minio gets it out wide right. Eight, seven. And Minio strikes it, and Carly soars into the air, snap header. And with four seconds left in the second overtime, we beat Syracuse 1-0. But those, those were the kinds of things that she could do. And in big moments. We beat Santa Clara. Uh, Jerry Smith, who was the U21 coach at the time, was like, holy smokes. I said, yeah, she's good. We, beat North, uh, we lost to North Carolina in the Sweet 16, Carly's freshman year, 2-1. We were up 1-0. But Anson Dorrance, after the game, came over and said, uh, Boy, that number 10 is a pretty good player. I said, Hanson, man, you've got the national team connections. Let's get her on board, man. So, you know, she was seen by people who were uh, far more influential than me because they worked in, national pro- in the national program <clears throat> for U.S. soccer. And, uh, yeah, and then she went and performed. And, you know, she just uh, really is a great story. And she was cut by Chris Petroselli, who was the under-21 coach, uh, after Jerry, uh, Chris, uh, Chris didn't like the way she played. She didn't defend, and he, and he didn't think she was fit. And, you know, her, initially she was pissed. And then after she got over it a bit, and this is a true story. Here's another. This is a great story. And this is, part, this is why you, you just never should say no, you know, when you, when you have these opportunities. Because she and Chris did not get along at, for, the, for the time. And Chris was just being the coach saying, hey, you're not ready to play, you know, and he cut her. And I'm at PDA, where I coach club. I'm up there, and the U21 national team under Chris Petroselli is up there training, and they're preparing to go to the Nordic Cup, which is this a really prestigious, you know, really good tournament. There's always four, you know, top teams, Scandinavian teams, the U.S., sometimes Canada was there. And... Uh, one of his top attacking players near the end of practice rolls her ankle. And I'm, I'm just sitting, I'm, I'm about 40 feet from this. So I'm hearing everything that's being said. And you can see Petroselli, he's like, oh my, you know, he's over her. And, he, you know, then he goes to the trainer. And eventually I hear the trainer tell him, there's no way she's going to play. You know, you, because they were leaving the next day. So Chris, starts walking over to me. He's a Jersey boy, so we knew each other quite well. He starts walking over to me. I know what he's going to ask. <laughs> the words coming out of his mouth was, 
where's Carly? And I said, she's home. I'm sure, you know, I, I know she's home. She's around. He said, well, do me a favor. Just call her up and tell her I'm going to give her a call. And when I called her, she was like, at first she was, um, she, she wasn't sure she wanted to do it because she said, well, the guy doesn't like me. Why is he, you know, why is he calling me? And I don't, I think she probably discussed it with her parents and, you know, she had other, um, uh, there were other mentors in her life that I know she consulted, but I just thought my, my whole feeling was just, uh, what, you have nothing to lose. So she goes over there and she scores in the very first match as a reserve. And as the games progressed, she became more influential in the matches. And that's when she got, that's when it all really started for her. I can't remember what year that was. It might've been 2005. And then, uh, yeah, 2008, she scores a game-winning goal in, in the uh, gold medal match of the uh, Olympics. 2012, she does the same. 2015, scores a hat trick in the final of the World Cup. And, yeah, I mean, she, that, those are big moments, and, and she produced. She really did. And I, I have to ask, when she scored that big goal in the final from the halfway line and into the net, against Japan over in Canada for the 2015 World Cup Championship. I mean, you know her very well. You know how competitive she is. You know the hunger she has to go out on the pitch and just to take down an opponent all by herself if she wants to. How did that moment in your mind add it to her repertoire? I wasn't surprised she could strike it that far. I also wasn't surprised with the fact that she had the vision and awareness to see the keeper off the line. Uh, and what was funny, what I remember from that is uh, about two or three weeks later uh, on Sirius XM FC, that's the 24-7 soccer channel where I work, she, uh, I, ho- I was the host of uh, Carly Lloyd Town Hall. So it was me and Carly and like a small studio audience of about 50 people. It was, it was awesome. And in the interview, she asked me, she goes, did I, ever, did I ever do anything like that in college? Did I ever try that? She just couldn't, she couldn't remember a moment. And I said, oh, you don't remember? And so we were playing Boston College at Boston College, and they have a short field. And I had gone up to scout the game the week before, before we were going to play them. And I noticed that their goalkeeper always really far off her line. And I noticed that on kickoffs or any, like, long set pieces, she was standing at the top of the area, at the top of the 18 box. So I'm looking at this as I'm thinking, oh, I'm going to – we got to try this. So the day before the game, we had a practice session on the game field. And I said, Carly – Let's try a couple of these. And you can't take like a, you know, you can't take a 15-yard run-up. They're going to know what's going on. So you're going to have to kind of take your normal try. Well, she hmm. tried two or three of them and didn't get any of them on target, but she had the distance. I said, stop. We're not going to sit here and wait till you make it. You're going to make it tomorrow. So we win the toss. And usually when you win the toss, you choose what goal you want to defend. We won the toss. And we said, we want the kickoff because <laughs> I wanted to score, you know, directly because a, a kickoff is a direct kick. 
So you could score yep. off a direct kick. Yael Averbush at the University of North Carolina scored off a direct kick later. You know, Carly could have been, you know, I don't, I'm sure other people have done it. But so we get the kickoff. I said, Carly, let's, let's just see where the keeper is. And if she's where I think she's going to be, you're on. So sure enough, we go out there. And sure enough, the keeper's standing at the top of the box at Boston College. And I'm thinking, oh, my God. Gosh, just get this on frame because she's going to easily reach it. Uh, wide left. She pulled it wide left, and that was it. We didn't get the goal, you know, with uh, just a couple of seconds off the clock. But uh, but what was fu- interesting is that she didn't remember that. I said, oh, all right. So that, was, that was part of our interview. So, uh, yeah, she had, that, she had that capability. And the best part about her, you know, David Villa scored off of uh, – beat Andre Blake at uh, Subaru Park or whatever it was called then in Chester, Pennsylvania. And I'll never forget what he said after the game because it really resonated because Carly had said the same thing to me and that during the course of the game, she's constantly watching where the, where the uh, and this is what he said, during the course of the game, he's always looking to see where the keeper is in certain situations or in certain positions where the ball might be. And Via, it was interesting, he didn't even look. He just like won the ball, boom, turn, and friggin' hit a, you know, a laser. And I can still see Andre Blake backpedaling and scrambling and boom, the ball goes in the net from about 56 yards. And uh, Carly gave a look up in Canada against Japan, but she knew that key, she knew what was going on with the keeper before she even had it. And uh, that, that is the, those are the special players. And I've, I've always used it as learning tools. Like, this is what, this is what players should do. Coaches should sh- certainly help out. I mean, I see, you know, keepers, you know, they range off that line sometimes and they're not even aware. And the next thing you know, boom. And you, I, you see more people trying to cheat the keeper now at all levels. And I think part of mm-hmm. that is because I think Carly is partly responsible for that. And I just remember watching the EPL after that. And it just seemed to me that more players were really looking for it. And why not? Keep the keepers honest. And then if you push it back closer to their line, now you have more room in front of them to attack space. Oh, it's just a, it's a weapon. And she practiced stuff like that. She'd say, yeah. Yeah, it's just like the, uh, the basketball players that practice their half-court shots. You know, they, you know how they have a fun time with it. But they're truly practicing it because, you know, Buzzer beater, boom. There you go. I'm sure you remember so this. Um, I remember, I'm sure you remember this. I don't know if you've seen the video on uh, NFL Films um, when Carly was a member of the Houston Dash between 2015 and 2017. She was invited to the NFL's uh, Houston Texans uh, training facility. And she was able to kick field goals with uh, Vincent Wilfork to challenge with him. And uh, it was pretty even, Steven. I'll be honest with you. Wilfork is not a kicker, but he sure could kick it at the training uh, for the Texans. But to see her do that at the training facility of the Houston Texans. she put it out there. Remember, she was kicking field goals. What? It was at, she's a Philadelphia Eagles fan. She's a Philly. She's down there, South Jersey. 
you know, unfortunate yeah. South Jersey, Philadelphia, all that stuff. But that's the way it goes, man. You know? <laughs> North Jersey, I know. North Jersey, it's uh, New York, and South Jersey, it's Philadelphia. So she's a big Eagles fan. So they invited her. Remember, she uh, that was huge. She uh, she made some. I don't know what the length of the field goal was. It might have been forty yards or something. And uh, and then all the 50, stuff came out. You know, then she was saying. Yeah, you know, I'm I'm really serious about this. I'm going to work at this, and why not? Why can't I kick in the NFL? You know, and her uh, her trainer said that she was serious, and I was like, but that 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 I think that was she promised me it wasn't a publicity stunt, but I don't know. <laughs> I'm sure it wasn't a publicity pure publicity stunt, but there's there's no way she was going to play in the NFL. I mean. I hope that's I mean, not come her next on, stage. Cass- I'm, I'm praying that it's not her next stage. You know, she's talking about the next phase of her life. I just hope it's not, you know, at Eagles training camp. Uh-huh. Well, listen, look, Cassie Ireland played a kicker in Unnecessary Roughness, and she was recruited from the women's soccer team from the college, the fake college. Why not let Carly Lloyd go for it? <laughs> but I understand well, what you're saying, though. I, yeah. And I missed that movie. Sorry, man. Yeah. No, it's you're good. It's okay. You should go ahead and uh, get it on Netflix if it's available there. It, it was a really funny okay. movie. But but anyway, um, you know, to see her performing on so many different teams, Central Jersey Splash, New Brunswick Power, South Jersey Banshees, the New Jersey Wildcats, and then, of course, Chicago Red Stars part of Sky Blue, and then she went to Atlanta with the beat, no longer around, of course. Western New York Flash, they're defunct, unfortunately. Then, of course, Houston Dash. But the big moment, I think, to see her transferring or going on loan to Manchester City's women's team, how big was that for you to see her get a taste of life in England? I know she only had six appearances. She only scored twice, but what, what do you think that meant to her when when she went to England? Well, it's just like uh, Heather O'Reilly and I are close too, and Heather lives in East Brunswick here in the same time I'm in town I'm in, and uh, I talked to them both about it, and it's just, uh, and you've probably heard this before from players that go overseas. It's just such a soccer environment, a football environment. They, you know, they're they're both calling to football when they get back. You know, it's uh, it's like you know every day you go and. You go in the coffee shop. You go wherever you go. People are talking football, and so it's it's so embedded in the culture. And they both loved that because they never experienced that, especially in the women's game. Now, until recently, I I talked to Vladko Adonofsky about this, and you know because and he says it's better now, but it's still not good enough. And that is women watching the game. And so, and it's it's just not, uh, it hasn't been our culture. You know, women like to play the game, but they generally don't like watching it. This is a very generalized statement, but I've been coaching girls and women since 1983. So I do feel like I'm qualified. In general, a high, high majority of the players I've coached are not interested in watching games on a weekend, the EPL, Bundesliga, whatever. Some are. You know who did? Tobin Heath. Tobin Heath would come to PDA practice and she would try moves and train that she saw on the weekend watching the men play professionally. Carly did the same thing when she came to training. 
She would try things that she saw. She watched the game. She had a passion. Uh, but that's – so, yeah, those, that experience was uh, tremendous. And they loved Carly. And the reason I know that is that her coach there, Nick Cushing, we're both uh, pretty close now because Nick is the assistant head coach. Well, I don't know what his exact – he's the first assistant under Ronnie Dyler for New York City FC. He was the Manchester City women's coach for six years, part of the city football group. So it was, um, it was brought together that he would join Ronnie Dyla. They didn't know each other at the time, but they're now working together. And uh, so I've had a lot of talks with Nick about soccer in general, but also Carly. You know, we kind of will uh, we'll text each other or something if something happens with Carly and like the retirement. So it's uh, – it's been uh, and he and he said she's just just because she's such a footballer, you know. That's she was, you know, perfect for that environment. But it was better for her to be home personally and a- after that experience. And so uh, and then Gotham has, uh, you know, things have turned around there in a in a real favorable way. So I think she's enjoying her professional experience. So, you know, her thing now will be let's see what she could do to help them win a NWSL title. They'll. They look like they're good enough to do it. And if she comes back in fit and ready to go and, and with a, in a good place mentally, which knowing that, you know, every game could be her last for real now, because I think that's the way she's always played anyway. But now it's really – now it's coming to the fore. So uh, it'll be real – it's going to be very cool to watch these last few games she plays. It really would – it really will be. I'm amazed that – She's going to leave the Olympic Games with 10 goals scored and leading all American women those 10 goals. And the amount of medals she has won in the Olympics, bronze, silver, gold, of course. I, I mean, it's amazing to see the amount of, of medals and hardware that she has won uh, for her country. I mean, I know... There's definitely probably a Mount Rushmore of women's soccer players that you could probably think of right now. Where would you put Carly put Lloyd? Out, somebody put that out. Well, somebody put it out on Twitter just yesterday. Did you see it? Or it's like no, I, I don't know not. where it I came from. That. I just saw uh-huh. it. So now, so everybody was going. It's somewhat someone of note put it up there. I just can't remember, and uh, I don't even remember if I responded. But I responded in my head. I mean, it's got to be. Uh, you know, it, it, it has to be Mia Hamm. I think Christine Lilly, just because of who she was and, you know, the ultimate teammate. Uh, Michelle Akers Stahl, or Michelle Akers, no more Stahl. Uh, and number four is, is rough. Is it Carly? Is it Abby Wambach? Is it April Heinrichs? The people who should not forget April Heinrichs, an absolute warrior. And if you talk about someone who really got the program moving in that uh, – positive direction as a leader and this mentality that the women have always had, you know, that was, she was the captain of the first women's world championship, 1991 in China. And so how about Julie Fowdy, the ambassador she has been. Uh, so it's pretty hard to pick four. That's what it is, right? And then Mount Washmore, four uh-huh. of them, right? Yep. Yeah. Yep. So the acres, ham, definites. Um, and then, and you can debate everybody else, I guess. Well, I mean, I'm sure a lot of people just say, how could you not just 
check off Wombat. And I said, well, you know, you got to look at these others. But you did. Yeah, no, you really yeah. do. I, I know Carly is number one in your heart, but let me ask you a question. Is, do you think right now Carly Lloyd has surpassed uh, and I'll, I'm, I'm going to throw this at you if it's a controversial. I apologize, but do you think she's surpassed Mia Hamm and Lily and Akers? Do you think she's surpassed those three? Well, there, it's it's not an unfair question, but it's it's so difficult to to classify because Mia Hamm. The reason Mia Hamm, look. If it wasn't for Mia Hamm, we might not be talking about Carly, okay? Because Mia Hamm mm-hmm. was the first, like, face. That's the first, fa- you know, she was the first real rock star. Michelle Akers should have been, but that's before men could, you know, men of power, you know, couldn't handle women, you know, being at the forefront. Seriously. That's the only reason. And uh, right. the amount of sexism that, you know, present in the, these women fighting their way through this is... is uh, of course astronomical so too bad for acres but acres is like she is but ham is the first face the, the one who did the commercials but but she was also a great she was also a great player goal scorer had that uh, never say die i mean she came from that anson dorrance north carolina system you know the competitive cauldron you know uh, grab the heart out from your opponent's and just hold it in your hand until it stops beating, you know? I mean, that's, uh, that's the way she went at it. And I, I remember being at uh, the coaches' convention. They have an annual coaches' mm-hmm. convention. It's, you know, it's massive. It's fantastic. And for coaches, you know, it's just all these different people, um, you know, providing information and exercises. So Anson Dorrance did a clinic once, a finishing clinic, and he had me a hand with him. And she worked her arse off during this 60 minutes. You know, if there were ever anything where you might take a little off and go through the motions just slightly, it would be at a convention on a carpet floor with chandeliers above you. You know what I mean? It's such a – but she, <laughs> she tore through everything. Things I've seen, how hard she went at it. And then the answer says something at the end is like – this is why who she is, you know, this is it. This is what you get every day when you train this kid, you know, it's like, um, so I, I just, has she surpassed them? That's, I, I, I don't know how to answer that because I don't think, I think the people that are most valuable, not just in women's soccer, but in a lot of things that occur in our lives, the people who are most valuable and should be held to the highest esteem are the ones that got it started. And that's that 1991 team. You know, you've heard Julie Foudy talk about flying home on the plane and sitting next to an older couple. And she said, well, we just won the world championship in soccer. And they went, oh, that's nice. And got back to her <laughs> classes at Stanford and, uh, and asked if she could have a couple of extra days before she took her exams. And her professor said, what are you, crazy? Oh, and sitting down <laughs> in her first class and everybody asking, where have you been? And that's, those are the ladies, that's Chastain, that's Fowdy, that's Akers, that's Karen Gabara, who's the coach at Navy and has been for over 25 years. That's uh, Mary Harvey, 
main goal. That's those that team in particular uh, was the. They had a lot of pressure on them. They were the underdog. They were not favored to win the World Cup, and they went in there and played with an attitude and a mentality, high press, and they just ripped apart this tournament until they got to the final and they were exhausted. I can't remember how many days it was, but they had to play like, I don't know, it was like five or six matches in 12. It was just a ridiculous uh, format, which, again, this format, FIFA, uh, you know, uh, you know, Originally, they wanted to play with a size four ball. They wanted to play 80-minute matches. Michelle Akers was in that meeting, and she got up and, and I think probably said a few things to people that they would not normally hear from a woman. And uh, so they didn't do that. They played 90 minutes, and they used a size five ball, <laughs> which huh. you know, was a regulation ball. Just crazy, you know, crazy stuff. And that, But that's the, who you were dealing with. And yep. They win this thing. Not many people knew, heard about it. Uh, there was very little live television. You know, some people saw the replay. It wasn't shown in all, all over our country. Like you couldn't watch it in like right. You know, name all the major cities and like half of them you couldn't watch the game. So yeah, it just really, really those and so they persisted. Instead of $10 meal money, they got $10 meal money. That was their per diem, okay? And mm-hmm. they, Anson Dorff brought his brother along because he was a chef so they could eat, so they had food. Uh, just all kinds of things. Those, the pioneers, you know, the, they, were the, they were the ones that really, so that's, you know, everybody past that, you know, it, it's hard to say where everybody sits. But, uh, and that's why maybe April Heinrich should be, on uh, Mount Rushmore. I don't know. Or Acres. I don't know. We'll see. Yeah? No, I agree. And let's not forget the uh, the wonderful comment of former FIFA president Sepp Blatter suggesting that the women soccer players wear hot pants while they're running around uh, performing on the pitch. You know, that was a great idea back then. Stupid idiot. Yeah, but well, what are you going to do? Know, this, is the guy, this, is the guy, this is the guy running the... Uh, Running FIFA and 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 these women events and uh, you know they were and then the the the, the prize money is still abysmal and uh, yeah you know and that's where a lot of this equal pay fight is is you know, the lawyers for the women say we don't care that FIFA pays them less you got to make up the cost so it's like okay so this is um, a lot of that's a whole other uh, that's a whole other show Daniel. That's another, yep, exactly. That's a whole other show, and hopefully we'll get to it as soon as we can, and we'll see what happens down the road. You know, I, when uh, the Red Bulls, I think it was, was it 2019, I think it was, that Carly Lloyd came over, or when she returned from, or before she went back to Manchester to go on loan um, with City, uh, she was at Yankee Stadium, of course, visiting you, visiting the club. Uh, NYCFC for the New York Derby, and I remember asking her a question. I, I asked her, you know, basically, does she feel like that, you know, when she's done with her career, would she go into coaching? Um, and and I've also asked her this question because obviously 
Becky Hammond, who is a former WNBA player, is an assistant coach with the San Antonio Spurs and Greg Popovich down in Texas. And, you know, we're seeing more, we're seeing women getting an opportunity to be on a coaching staff, whether it be in the NBA, the NFL. We haven't seen it. uh, I haven't seen it personally in MLS. I haven't seen it like in Major League Baseball. I have not seen it in, in the NHL, but do you believe that you know if she does have children whatever you know or if she doesn't or they decide not to have children that it's up to them I'm not sticking my nose in their business obviously but do you think she would make a great coach assistant or head either for collegiate women's soccer for the women's game or do you think she would tackle the men's game to be part of a coaching staff or do you think she could run a men's club. I got neither. I don't think it interests her. I think coaching is not in her. And she runs camps and things. And, you know, I think uh, she's been doing that a long time. And, you know, a lot of that's just in her own community. And uh, I've asked her, you know, about the coaching thing. And, you know, that, it was a while ago, but it wasn't that long ago. And she's just, I, she doesn't have any interest in that, Daniel. I'd be, now, the, and what I've told her is I, I said, well, look, before you just disclose, uh, just discount it as a possibility, the place where you could really help is U.S. soccer and the national teams. You know, it, you don't have to be the head coach. You know, maybe you can be uh, the coach who goes in to run, you know, some finishing sessions or you know things like that. So I, I that's where I hope she stays involved because. Uh, but I will also say that U.S. soccer, for whatever reason, for whatever reason has been reluctant to bring back, whether reluctance is the right word, but, you know, Brandy Chastain has made a lot of noise on this. Julie Foudy has made a lot of noise on this. Michelle Akers has made a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot of noise on this. That they, weren't, they weren't approached to come in and be part of the program, be part of the coaching program. And for somebody like Chastain, she's, I think she probably has her A license now, which is, uh, you know, there's now a, a U.S. soccer pro license, but uh, A is the next – level from that. It was A for so long and now they have a pro license which has only been in existence for like three or four years. So she's serious about it. She works in the club. She's director of a women's club and uh, yeah, so it, it's been interesting. You know, like, like the German Federation, you know, they're, they're all, their coach, all their coaches are former players. Um, but I will say this, U.S. soccer has offered first the C and now the B license to select members of um, teams in the uh, or players in the NWSL, I think there's a group of 50. Gosh, I, I just saw this announcement. So I think it's moving in a better direction, and maybe that means we'll start seeing more former players be involved. I mean, you know, you've got to, if, if Michelle Akers, Brandy Chastain, and Julie Foudy want to come in and help you out. Don't even, don't, don't pause. Don't, don't just. Yes, that's the only thing you say. Yes, and I don't know what happened. And you know that's when April Heinrichs and Jill Ellis were in charge. They weren't. They didn't have those guys, and uh, no one ever really knew why. I'm sure there's a story there, but uh, I'm not privy to it. I wish you would. I mean, I like to hear it. <laughs> 
But, no, I, uh, I don't. I'm uh, really not privy to it. I don't know. You know, maybe Carly will tell me. You know, I'm hoping Carly now, after a couple of years, because I never, I never take advantage of our relationship. In fact, there's some people that have Kevin Baxter, the LA Times, has developed a nice relationship with her. So he, uh, he, he, uh, she always will speak to him. Uh, Jonathan Tannewall did a nice feature before the uh, Olympics. You know, Philly mm-hmm. guy, and she's down that way. Uh, so there's certain people that she probably commun- in the media that she communicates more frequently with, with than me because I just don't push it. I don't think it's fair. And uh, but now I hope to have her on soon. I'm going to see her August the 30th. She's doing something at Rutgers, so I think we're going to sit down and do something then. But um, anyway, it's going to be uh, her next phase is going to be fun for her and for her family, I think. And I'm so back. I'm I, so glad she and her parents are just, you know, back together, and the whole family's together, and it's really, for whatever reason it wasn't, it's just wonderful that it is now. No, I agree with you there. Um, if I can ask you this, and this will probably be my last question: Has Rutgers University already honored her, or has that not happened? Is that do you think that's going to be in the works? I know I don't. I don't know how your relationship with the university is. Right now, I know you haven't been there for a long, long time, but do you think well, Rutgers Thursday University will honor her? The, well, Thursday night I'll be doing the Rutgers versus Fairleigh Dickinson University women's soccer match on BTM+. Plus. Now I'm very uh, – I'm still very close to my uh, former assistant, who's now a head coach, Michael O'Neill. Uh, well, Carly's been honored in a lot of different ways. Hall of Fame, Distinguished uh, – uh, what was that award? The, the best one was this distinguished faculty, not faculty. Oh gosh, I can't remember the name of the award, but it was like, it was unbelievable. It was like, <laughs> like six people were being honored and one was Carly. And then the rest of them were like, you know, invented the, uh, you know, physicists and, you know, the, all the scientists and physicists and all these remarkably brilliant people, authors, and uh, and in Carly, <laughs> so it was, it was really uh, an interesting night, and uh, and distinguished night. So yeah, there'll be uh, there'll be something. I don't know what is going on, but uh, I'm sure there will be plans. I retired her number a long time ago, and um, <laughs> yeah. So amazing, that's it, man. Amazing stuff. I mean, I know you. I know you're not her father, but you sound like a proud papa when we talk about Carly Lloyd. You sound very, very happy for her and everything. Well, I met her when she was 15, and she's now 39. So that's how long I've known her. She babysat my kids. Uh, yeah, my wife is very close to her, and you know, and and, and Mary, my wife. She's you know, again, we don't we don't. Our thing has always been: don't take advantage of the relationship. Don't bug her. I mean, you know, she's this high-profile figure, so we send a text, or I'll give her a call, and it's it's perfect, you know. And then when we see each other, and when she sees my family, it's uh, it's always nice. So, yeah, I'm uh, I'm real happy for her, and uh, like I said, and for her family. So, all good, man. All good. All good. That's great to hear, Glenn. As always, I appreciate you coming on the show anytime. Uh, you're able to thank you very much for discussing about Carly Lloyd and I hope to have you back on again soon and good luck with the rest of the NYCFC season. Have have me back on for the MLS Cup final preview, man. New York City <laughs> against Seattle. 
Oh, right. he's going there. He he wants Seattle, folks. Well, we'll see what happens. It should be interesting, and we'll we yeah. still got plenty of time, so we'll see what happens. But thank you again, Glenn, and I'll talk to you soon. Well, I'm I'm rooting for an MLS Cup final at Yankee Stadium so that everybody can get all pissed off. So that's what I want. <laughs> yeah. With all right, Daniel. Purpose. Thank you so much. You're welcome, Glenn. Thank you very much, yeah, Glenn Crooks, former. You two have former Rutgers Women's University uh, soccer head coach, current broadcaster of New York City FC, Glenn Crooks, joining me tonight to say uh, congratulations on a wonderful career of Carly Lloyd that is now officially will come to an end. Uh, she's done playing for the U.S. Women's National Team. Four matches remaining with Gotham, New Jersey, New York, Gotham of the NWSL. And then it's off to greener pastures for her. You know, I, I I have to say that she is one of those players in the women's game that really shows you how mentally prepared and how physically pre- uh, prepared she is when she's ready to do battle. And, you know, what Glenn said really cements my feeling about how the women's game has been treated by the international community. There are some nations that take it seriously. There are some nations that are giving it a chance. And there are some nations that just don't. And at the same time, and I would think, I would have thought that Johnny Infantino, the new president of FIFA, would have fixed uh, pay issues for international women soccer players when you're playing for your national team. Hopefully the change will come and the women will have the respect that they deserve from other nations and from the governing body itself. Things need to change, things for the better. And all you can say is that you hope that somewhere down the road, Carly Lloyd set the path to cause some change, and you hope somewhere down the path other the you know this future generation of women soccer players american women soccer players and soccer players period will be able to get the respect that they deserve then get equal pay like the men the evidence is very clear folks i'm not saying the women have reached the, the finish line I'd say they're halfway there, but it's that other half that needs to come through for them, for them, to get on equal footing like the men. And we'll see what happens down the road. But for Carly Lloyd, let me just say congratulations on a job well done. Congratulations on a brilliant career. And good luck when this season is over with New Jersey, New York, Gotham, good luck to you in your future endeavors. Everything that's going on 
with you and your husband. Good luck, and I hope everything will be just fine. Moving on now here on the 40 Scenes Fire American Soccer Show. You know, we'll go straight to reviewing uh, the Red Bull match in Montreal at Stade Saputo's Club de Foot Montreal. A 2-1 controversial loss to Montreal due to the fact of a penalty being retaken three times. A penalty retaken three times. Now, obviously for Red Bull fans, you get the opening goal in first half stoppage time from Patrick Klimala. Patrick Klimala converting the penalty. That made it 1-0 Red Bulls. And in the second half, late in the second half, a goal to level the match at one, and it looked like it was going to be 1-1. And then we get into second half stoppage time, and that's when the whole thing goes completely bonkers. Amro Tarek sliding down on the grass, on the pitch, on the floor, and then all of a sudden, after he stopped sliding on the pit, on the floor, a, cross, a low cross hits him. His arms were out, did not go after the ball with his arms. The ball struck him in the arm, the left arm. Referee Alan Chapman calls a penalty. Okay, it's a penalty. I didn't think it was because that looked more to be hand, you know, ball to hand than hand to ball. But when you're sliding to defend a cross, okay, it's a penalty. That's fine. It's a penalty. Carlos Coronel getting ready to make a save on the penalty spot as the penalty was kicked. Coronel makes the save. Bails out Amro Tarek. But for Coronel, he gets told, we're going to get we're going to have that penalty retaken. Why? Because Coronel was off his line when the ball was kicked. So you know what? Okay, fine. That's Coronel's fault. That should never have happened. Coronel was not on the line when the ball was kicked. So then the head coach of Montreal asks the penalty kick taker to be switched. It happens. The second penalty kick taker comes in. And what happens? He sends his kick middle, maybe a little bit middle left to the right side of Coronel. And that gets saved. Then VAR comes back into play. And VAR came into play on the first penalty that was saved, retaken. 
VAR comes into play again. Second penalty. Saved. Retaken. The second penalty kick taker of Montreal runs to the spot, stops, and then he's got his right leg in a frozen position, which was back, getting ready to kick the ball. Froze, which forced Coronel off his line. And then when he kicked it, Coronel made the save. Coronel made the save for the second straight attempt. VAR once again comes back into play. Because they're saying Coronel was off the line. The laws of the game states that the goalkeeper must stay on the line during an attempt for a penalty to be taken, which is true. The keeper can dance on the line and go left to right, right to left at his pleasure. And I understand pen takers can try to deceive the keepers as much as possible, but I mean, as I understand in the laws of the game, if there is a problem during the addressing of the ball, meaning <coughs> when your plant foot is equal to the ball and you are at the spot and you do that stutter step, keep it frozen for a couple of seconds, and then you unleash, that's illegal. And Coronel had to retake another defending of a penalty. Wanyama takes the penalty attempt for number three. And even though Coronel got his gloves on it, I think it was hit really hard where Coronel sadly deflected the ball off of his hands and into the back of the net to give Montreal the ma- the match winner in second half stoppage time to make it 2-1. The penalty rules or the laws of the game for the penalty spot in my opinion have been absolutely ridiculous. Shep Messing himself on the MSG broadcast said, you know, this is not fair. Why was the second attempt allowed to be retaken when Coronel is expecting the pen taker to take the shot that forced him off his line? <clears throat> he didn't go off his line on his own. He did not edge off the line on the second one. Yet he gets fooled for that. And in my mind, 
the penalty kick taker does, or the club that gets the penalty kick to be taken again for a third time, that's it. You drew him off his. You drew the goalkeeper off of his goal line. If Cornell did it on his own, I can understand that. If Carlos Cornell walked off the line on his own, jumped off the line on his own before the penalty kick taker addressed the ball then that's fine. I understand that. In a normal manner. Not what we saw on the second penalty kick take. Now, I know some of you are saying, well, I think his back heel was on the line. That angle, you can't tell. Not about that angle. It's about the angle of the real camera that shows if any part of his boot for Coronel was on the goal line. You need to see it in a better angle because last year, after the MLS's back tournament ended, what was the first game back at Red Bull Arena without fans? It was Red Bulls versus New York City FC. And the second half Kyle Duncan scores a goal. We're not sure. It looked like Sean Johnson stopped it at the line, prevented it from crossing the entire goal line. Preventing the entire ball from crossing the goal line. And when I came home from Red Bull Arena to watch... What happened, that camera angle coming from midfield bench area showed, in my mind, the ball was completely over the line because the low angle and the close-up, cha- and the close-up shot that we all got, once you saw several blades of green grass being shown behind the goal line in the net. And the entire, to me, the entire ball crossed the goal line. And that goal counted. It stood. 1-0 Red Bulls, and that was the end of that one. Case, from that camera shot, I would say it's a little deceiving. To me, Coronel was off his line because he did it to himself. But, unfortunately, in the second one, Coronel was forced off his line because of that stutter step, and that should be outlawed. I don't care if you stutter step here, stutter step there. If you want to go slow, quick, slow, quick, and then boom, that's fine. As long as it's in one continuous motion, which it should always be. But that play, that play, a pausing of, I would say, two to four seconds. Your plant foot is down. You're keeping your shooting foot back. 
for a good two to three to four seconds, and then you smack it, that's illegal. And the Red Bulls lose in controversial fashion at Stad Saputo, going down two goals to one. I don't know what to tell you. I don't know what to say. But all I can say is, is this. It is a damn shame, a damn shame that a Red Bull match ended the way it did in that fashion, and I'm not happy about it. So hopefully, VAR, Pro, they've got to change these things. They have to really, really change these rules. And it's not just for me to argue because it's a Red Bull issue. I'm arguing this because I don't want this situation to ever happen again in any match in MLS. Period. And once again, the VAR was a Canadian soccer referee from Quebec province. I understand they're part of pro Canada soccer referees. That's not my issue. My issue is a, a Quebec referee as VAR. If any of you have ever seen those uh, documentary shows like on HBO, now NHL Network does it, on the Winter Classic, of course, the year the New York Rangers and the month and the uh, excuse me, the New York Rangers and the Philadelphia Flyers are playing against each other in the Winter Classic down at Citizens Bank Ballpark at the home of the Phillies. Peter Laviolette was the head coach of the Flyers at the time, and every time they go to Montreal, something screwy always happens because one of the referees in Montreal has to be French speaking or francophone I, I still think it's a crew crew uh, crew way to call them like that or someone from Quebec province to be the referee in one of the games you got to have a referee who speaks French and that's fine you've got to speak French I don't have a problem with it but I remember Peter Laviolette when he had calls that went against him and it's the best line in the Winter Classic documentary of course leading up to the Winter Classic he's like it's typical Montreal it's typical I don't want to go too far I don't want to sound like I'm again you know look I respect I, I respect French footballers I respect French Quebec footballers, French-Canadian footballers, you know, look, I, I, I love um, I, I, I enjoy talking to my colleague up in Canada and Kevin Laramay. I just feel occasionally there might be a little homerism over there. That's all it is. But Look, I'm not going to start throwing out conspiracy theories because that would be bad on me. And I'm not going to go there. But it felt like it on Saturday night. And now uh, this coming Wednesday night, the New York Rebels will be hosting the Columbus Crew. The return of Bradley Wright Phillips. 
And then on Saturday night, the Hudson River Derby, Red Bulls versus NYCFC, and this should be a lot of fun. Well, that'll do it for tonight's show. I want to thank my guests tonight, my, my guest actually tonight, Glenn Crooks, radio broadcaster of NYCFC and the former women's soccer head coach of Rutgers University as he talks about Carly Lloyd retiring from the game as a whole. Join me next week to talk about more adventures of American soccer. And let's not forget, ladies and gentlemen, here we go. The octagonal, the octagon, final round of World Cup qualifying in CONCACAF. USA World Cup qualifying post-match shows. It's going to be a lot of fun. I know I can't wait. I know you can't wait yourselves. It's going to be fantastic. So thank you for listening to me tonight. I hope you all have a very good evening. I will talk to you next time. Take care so long. And bye-bye for now. Have a good night, everybody. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.